Welcome to the Ego Samvir podcast with me, Father Andrew Eber. And I invite you to begin by joining with me in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant us, O Lord our God, a mind to know you, a heart to seek you, wisdom to find you, conduct pleasing to you, faithful perseverance in waiting for you, and a hope of finally embracing you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In my academic career, before I went into the church, I had an interest in 16th and 17th century history, and also in landscape history. So one consequence of my academic research was that I ended up working on a number of historic houses and gardens around the country. One of the most interesting for me was the house of Sir Thomas Tresham, lived in Newbuild in Northamptonshire, just outside our diocese. Sir Thomas Tresham, who was a devout Catholic, was imprisoned for his faith under Elizabeth I, and the house and its gardens were built whilst he was in prison. And for me, working at Livton was a fascinating project, partly because no one with a Catholic background had really looked closely at the place before. The house was covered with emblems of the crucifixion, what we call the Arma Christi, the cross, the crown of thorns, the pillar where Christ was scourged, the scourges themselves, the nails that pierced him, the sponge set on a reed offered to Christ with vinegar and gall, and the lance that wounded him. So clearly this was a passion building. It was an architectural commemoration of Christ's passion, built at a time when the liturgical commemoration of the passion, the mass, was banned on pain of death, and at a time when the owner of the house and its builder was confined to prison for refusing to renounce his Catholic faith. As for the gardens, well, the gardens had long since you know, pretty much disappeared, but the letters from the gardener to his master in prison had survived there in the British Museum. And so with a bit of research and a bit of archaeology, you could piece together what had been planted and where. So the main feature of the gardens was an enormous maze surrounded by water. And the maze was, a little unusually, planted with uh, a design of roses and raspberries, and the waterways were lined with willow. So why this choice of plants? Well, the roses and raspberries for Elizabethans symbolised the passion, the blood of the crucifixion and of the mass. And as for the willow, well, the willow is what is waved as Christ enters into his passion, when Christ enters Jerusalem at the beginning of Holy Week. The willow is a Palm Sunday plant. In fact, willow used to be called English palm, Palm Sunday itself in some places was called Willow Sunday. 
Catholics used to go a-palming early on Palm Sunday morning, collecting willow fronds for the Palm Sunday procession later that day. But of course that procession was banned, along with so much else under Elizabeth I. At Lifton then, not only was the building a passion building, the garden, with its willows, roses and raspberries, was a passion garden as well. So a man imprisoned for his faith found a way to celebrate that faith on a grand and glorious scale in the house and gardens at Lifton. Why should that matter to us? Well, we are not the first Catholics unable to celebrate Palm Sunday and Holy Week. Very far from it. Nor will we be the last. But if our forebears, with a little faith and ingenuity, even when they're imprisoned, manage to come up with other beautiful ways to show their faith, no doubt you and I can do the same. My prayer for you then, in this holy week to come, is that you and your family will find a way to journey together in faith, to commemorate the passion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let it be, as the old liturgy says, our care and delight to hear again the message of the Gospels, and in heart and mind to go even unto Jerusalem, to walk before our Lord on his triumphant entry into the city, to sit at his own table for the Last Supper, to accompany him to the Garden of Gethsemane and watch there for one hour beside him, to walk with him on the way of the cross, to weep beside his mother at the foot of the cross, and then on the third day to rejoice with her and with all his disciples when the angel announces, He is risen. Amen. And now my homily for Palm Sunday. And I'll begin by proclaiming the gospel for the start of Mass for the Palm Sunday procession. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village facing you, and immediately you will find an ass tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on an ass, and on a colt, the foal of an ass. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the ass and the colt, and put their garments on them, and he sat thereon. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. 
One of the important things about liturgy is the way it enables us to participate not just spiritually, but also physically in the mystery of the Incarnation. We worship with our whole bodies, mind, body, heart and soul. So it is important, for example, how we act when we go to church. It is important what we do with our bodies, because our bodies, which are a gift from God, enable us to worship him and to serve him in love. It's important, for example, that we cross ourselves with holy water when we enter a church. It's important that we genuflect, that we go down on one knee or bow if we're not able to, when we pass the Blessed Sacrament. It's important that we bow before receiving Holy Communion, for example. All these are sacramental actions, which are part of our liturgy, part of our worship, and which bring us closer to Jesus Christ. But what do we do when we cannot go to church? Well, some of those physical activities we can continue. I've been kneeling before my bedroom window, for example, when I pray in the morning and offer the day to Jesus. And there's something reassuring in that physical reverence, that timeless act of reverence which continues in good times and bad, in freedom and in confinement. But when it comes to the great liturgies of Holy Week and Easter, we have to exercise a little imagination and perhaps a little ingenuity. We cannot physically experience them in church, not for this year at least. Now, we've all been encouraged by the Holy Father and our bishops to make an act of spiritual communion whilst we're not able to come to Mass, spiritually uniting ourselves with Jesus in the Mass. So I wonder what that spiritual communion might look like when it comes to the Holy Week liturgies to Palm Sunday, to Maundy Thursday, or the Mass of the Lord's Supper, to Good Friday, and to Easter itself. Part of the answer, it seems to me, is to try to immerse ourselves in the events of that very first Holy Week, to go back in heart and mind even unto Jerusalem, as I was saying earlier. So today, on Palm Sunday, where do we find ourselves in that great story of the Gospels? Where do we locate ourselves in the Holy Land? Well, Jesus has been staying at Bethany, on the Jericho Road to the east of Jerusalem. Bethany is where he raised Lazarus from the dead, which is why, by the way, we hear about Lazarus in the Gospel on the Sunday before Palm Sunday. And then Jesus sends his disciples about a mile ahead to the village of Bethphage, which is on the edge of the Mount of Olives, lying between them and Jerusalem. There they find the ass and the colt mentioned in the Gospel, and from there Jesus makes his entrance into Jerusalem, into the Holy City. So at this point we're about, well, about a mile and a half from the temple itself. As for the donkey and the colt, well, they, as the Gospel tells us, are a fulfilment of the prophecy of Zechariah, who predicted the coming of the Messiah in just this way. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus enters Jerusalem like a general returning victorious from war. 
but instead of a war horse, he rides the donkey of the King of Peace. And there's also an echo, and surely an intentional echo, of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem of Solomon. Solomon, who is like Jesus, the son of David, and who rode a donkey on his coronation day. But as Jesus himself said, someone greater than Solomon is here. Then the laying down of cloaks and garments under Jesus, now this too, is also a coronation custom. A similar practice takes place at the coronation of King Jehu, in the book of Kings, for example. Jehu, who was anointed by the prophet Elisha to cleanse the house of Israel, and the people put their garments under his feet and blow the trumpets and proclaim him king. And as we set out on our procession this morning, the people crying and shouting and waving branches, those branches make it seem as though the people are celebrating one of the great feasts of Israel, the Festival of Tabernacles, when worshippers encircle the Torah, the revelation of God in writing, waving palms and other branches and proclaiming Hosanna, just as today in the same fashion they wave their palms around Jesus, who is the revelation of God not in writing, but in the flesh. And the cries of Hosanna, they are also part of the liturgy of the Festival of Tabernacles. From Psalm 118, a cry of glad rejoicing, especially associated both with the coming of the Messiah and with the temple itself. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. And so we and the crowd go together, singing and waving our branches, over the southern shoulder of the Mount of Olives, down steeply, into the Kidron Valley below, and then up just as steeply once again to the east gate of the temple. It is a route heavy with symbolism. It is in fact the reverse of the route taken by King David when he had to flee the city after he had been betrayed by his own son and rejected by his own people. And when David wept over Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, just as Jesus does. And in all this noisy, joyous, exultant celebration, there seems no hint at all of that earlier rejection by the city of its king. So we might ask ourselves, as we follow this crowd, do they realise? Do they understand? Do they grasp the significance of what is happening? Do we ourselves? As I say, the route we are following is a very steep one, down the Mount of Olives, into the Kidron Valley, and then up the slope of Mount Moriah to the temple. And one consequence of that is that you can see your destination all the way. You can see the temple on the brow of the hill ahead. So there's no mistaking where you're headed. Or is there? Because if you carry on in a more or less straight line down this Palm Sunday route, right through the temple and beyond the western wall, you come, then, to a small, misshapen hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And meanwhile, on the north side of the temple, that is, in the distance to our right as we descend the valley, at the north gate, or the sheep gate of the temple, comes the arrival of the Passover lambs. 
a great flock of lambs being driven into the temple, the lambs to be sacrificed for the Passover. One lamb for every household, according to the law laid down in Exodus, being led to the temple, there to be sacrificed, as the law proscribes, before sunset on Friday. Our King comes to die for us. The various coronation rituals that we've seen, which are part of this procession, these coronation rituals will only be completed by the crown of thorns. The humility of his entrance upon the donkey is only a foreshadowing of that greater humility of the cross. So as we join this procession today, let us, for our part, try to understand its destination. Let us try to understand the love that impels him to do this, that drives Jesus to offer himself for us. And let us try to discern for our part what we might offer him in return. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for being with me. Do get in touch with any comments or questions you have, any suggestion for things we ought to cover. And I'll upload another episode next Sunday and look forward to joining you then. Let's end then, as always, with the prayer of our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>